Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Hard Currency, the FT's weekly look at the $5 trillion global foreign exchange market. I'm Richard Blackton, the FT's Deputy Market Editor, and joining me is George Saravelos, Head of Currency Research at Deutsche Bank. George, thank you very much for coming in. We're about a week on from uh, the invoking of Article 50 by Theresa May. Obviously, that is a new chapter in the politics of Brexit, the triggering of the two-year negotiation period. Um, Does it change anything for the pound, in your view? Well, it doesn't change anything immediately because the Prime Minister has been flagging the triggering for a very long time, so that was very much expected. But going forward now, the key question is how the politics interact uh, with markets. And we see that interaction as still being quite negative for the pound over the next two years. In what way do you feel that the risks and negotiations are potentially an untoward outcome for the UK and the UK economy? or? Well, it's a combination of two things. Uh, On the currency side, we don't think the pound is cheap enough. So while it has dropped quite substantially against the dollar, if we look at sterling on a trade-weighted basis, it's nowhere near extremes uh, of cheapness it's been uh, in the past. So if you take the euro sterling exchange rate, for instance, uh, we think it's just very close to fair value uh, at at current level. So we think there's plenty of potential for undershoot. Um, Now, the, the driver of this undershoot in terms of sterling valuation is quite a pessimistic view on how the negotiations will go at least in the first uh, year and uh, until we have full clarity on what the final package uh, will look like. And this uh, very much relates to the sequencing. We struggle to see how uh, the government is going to be able to obtain a package uh, from the Europeans that is politically acceptable and presentable uh, domestically because the Europeans are very much in favour of uh, what's known as sequencing. So first having to define the costs Uh, of Brexit, then having to define the transitional arrangement, which would involve uh, essentially uh, prolonging membership of the EU uh, quite a lot longer than the initial deadline. And once this is done, then the next deal, the new deal, will have to be negotiated. And politically, we worry it's uh, the Prime Minister will have great uh, uh, difficulties in presenting such a package domestically, which is very likely to delay the negotiations. Now, the pound... When we had the vote last June, seems a long time ago now, sharp fall hasn't really bounced since. There's been no significant bounce. It's a little stronger, and the economy has generally performed a bit better than people expected. Um, That's led some people to get a little bullish on the pound, that maybe we're getting all too pessimistic about these negotiations and the economy is doing okay. I mean, what you feel like the the messy politics will trump uh, the economics here or... Well, I think what we'll see is that the economics will continue to interact with the politics uh, in a way that the economy will um, not perform as well as many expect it to and certainly underperform uh, other parts of the world. And it's interesting because uh, the economy has done better than people were expecting after the outcome of the referendum. Uh, but the key thing to note is that nothing has happened uh, after the the outcome of the referendum was known. It's only just now that the negotiations will begin. It's only just now that the clock is, is ticking. So it's not clear at all that uh, the event is, is priced into markets uh, because we don't really know what the outcome will ultimately be and so uh, the impact on the economy as well. Now, um, 
in, final question on the pound, in terms of where you see the weakness appearing in terms of the exchange rates, do you see it more against the dollar or the euro? These are the two big crosses for the pound. I would see it as a combination of the two. So we see sterling weaker against the dollar. Uh, we see a move below 110. And against uh, the euro, the euro sterling exchange rate, we see is moving at least up to 90 cents. Okay. On the euro, obviously, people were fairly bearish at the start of the year on the euro, pointing to a lot of political risk uh, with uh, the election we still got, the election coming up in France. But it's actually performed okay. That's partly down, obviously, to some of the weakness in the in the dollar. Uh, but we've done some reporting in which a lot of people, if we can get through this fiscal risk, uh, the economy is gradually improving and the eurozone, albeit from a very low base, it's time to buy the euro. Uh, are you in that camp? Um, well, we disagree. So we're still uh, quite negative on the euro. Uh, the first point to note is obviously that these elections, uh, particularly in France, have not gone away yet. So um, while it, it looks like Le Pen and the second round is uh, is behind, uh, the f- the first round is also quite critical in terms of who ends up uh, potentially running against uh, Le Pen. So that's one thing that that remains a near-term risk factor. But even if we uh, assume that the elections go uh, close to market expectations, we have a, ver- a very different take on the ECB. And while there is a common assumption that if the ECB was to taper and reduce its balance sheet, that would be bullish for the euro. Uh, we actually think that would be negative. We think the the impact will be the opposite of what uh, the the consensus expects. Uh, And this is quite similar to the US. When the Fed tapered um, a few years ago, what you actually saw was that the dollar weakened against major currencies. So uh, you can find evidence, even though most people think to the contrary, that tapering can be negative for a currency. And I think that's going to be the case for the euro as well. Interesting. Obviously, as a currency strategist, you're having to deal with thinking about political outcomes in the developed world now, given Brexit, given the strains on the Eurozone. That's obviously been a long theme in the developing world and in emerging markets. In the last few days, it's been quite a week for the RAND. South African RAND falling very sharply after the President Jacob Zuma dismissed his well-regarded finance minister. Just on that point, people got carried away here. Is this too big a reaction in the currency market? We don't think it's an overreaction. So uh, we have been quite positive on the RAND over the last six months. Indeed, it has appreciated substantially more than 10%. uh, But uh, we decided to change our recommendation around that precisely because of this event, because uh, the post of the finance minister is quite key in how the market perceives the fiscal outlook. uh, And indeed, some uh, a credit rating agency uh, downgraded South Africa a few days uh, after the event. So uh, politics, as as you say, do, do matter quite a lot, particularly for emerging market currencies. So we become more cautious on the RAND uh, because of these recent changes. And sort of the RAND's weakness over the last few days has stood out in part because emerging market currencies generally have had a very good first quarter. They seem to have dealt with going back to the election of Trump. There was a lot of fear that protectionism would really hurt emerging market economies. The Fed was raising rates and did so last month. But it seems to have ridden that these emerging market currencies very comfortably. Have you been surprised? Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's a combination of two things. On the one side, if you look at the US political outcomes, while the initial rhetoric was very much focused on protectionism, um, the reality of what has materialized has been much more benign. So to give you one example around the NAFTA renegotiation, some of the reporting we're seeing around the potential uh, proposals for changes are a lot more modest than uh, what the market initially thought. So Uh, Trump's protectionist agenda is uh, certainly, at least up to now, uh, nowhere near as aggressive as uh, many in the market had been expecting. And then, of course, on the other side, global growth has been much stronger. Uh, China has been uh, easing policy quite aggressively. 
uh, overall PMIs have been improving, and that tends to be a very positive environment for emerging markets. Interesting point you make about China. Obviously, people have pointed to Trump's election as a big driver of this sort of reflation rally we've had and appetite for risk assets. But others say, actually, you know, what's going on in China is just as important. Um, in terms of the, the signs that some of those fears of a big financial collapse have eased, um, the China Chinese data has been okay, showing resilience. Do you think that's been important generally, the, the positive noises out of China for currency markets this year? I think it's been very important and much more so than Trump. So when we look at what's been driving markets since the start of the year, we actually find that it's the positive global growth outlook, the recovery in commodity prices led by China, that's been the single most uh, important determinant of currency moves. And uh, a lot of the so-called Trumpflation trades uh, have actually been global growth trades that uh, would have still materialized irrespective of who would have been elected uh, out of the US. So the, the China outlook remains very, very very important, particularly for emerging market currencies and and commodity prices. And just finally, on emerging market currencies, obviously quite a big universe of currencies, lots of countries within emerging market world. Uh, Any that you particularly favour or are wary of? Uh, so generally speaking, we see the environment as being quite favorable for carry trades, uh, where that, that means high-yielding currencies that turn, t- tend to perform well in a low-volatility environment um, because we assume this to, that this continues over the next few months. So currencies belonging to that universe are things like uh, India, the Indian rupee, the Brazilian ray ice. They don't necessarily uh, appreciate very strongly, but if you own them, you earn the, the interest rate carry. So that would be our bias still to be positive on carry for the next few months. George, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on the whole world of currencies. I hope to see you again soon. And listeners, if you want more on currencies, go to ft.com forward slash. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Markets.